Pictures of Golgotha, Pictures of the Cross in the Old Testament. Last week we spoke from Psalm 8. Yes, good. Barb, next time you're not coming to church, tell me so I can just go back and preach. <laughs> preach back the same sermon. Okay, good. Yes, last week we spoke from Psalm 8 and we have arrived to Psalm 22. Remember when we were studying in the book of Leviticus, I told you there is few chapters in Leviticus that you need to know. Leviticus 16 is the Day of Atonement. The first five chapters, of course, the seven, seven chapters is the sacrifices. Then you have Leviticus 16, it is the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 23 is the, um, the feasts. And then I think Leviticus 25 is the Year of Jubilee. I think these are the major, don't quote me, I might be wrong, but I think these are the major chapters. Yes. We're just uh, we're gonna start reading from Psalm 22. I was just going back. Um, so as far as the Book of Psalms goes, when it comes to the Messianic Psalms, there are a few chapters that are very very important. That as a Christian you should know. Yeah. The major one is actually Psalm 22 that we're gonna read from today. That's very important. Then we're gonna have Psalm uh, 40, 69, and a couple of more as we go. But Psalm 22. If you don't know a lot about the book of Psalms and you have to choose one Psalm that you know for the sake of uh, Christ, like Christology and the teaching about Christ in the Old Testament, it is this one Psalm. Amen? Amen. So here's what I'm thinking we're going to do. It's a long Psalm, but since it's really that important, I'm thinking if we're going to stay in it for a few weeks, let's just read it together every single week. We're going to start the the preaching or whatever, by reading that psalm together. Because I'm hoping after a few weeks from now, at least some of these verses will, will sink in our brains and we'll know it by heart. Amen? So let's all stand together and let's just read that psalm together. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries and my anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scored by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breasts. For do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircled me. 
Roaring lions that tears their prey open their mouth wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart was turned to wax. You lay me in the dust of the death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircled me. They pierced my hand and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. And you are my strength. Come quickly and help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. The suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. Our all the rich of the earth will fear and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Prosperity will serve him. Future generation will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Amen. Amen. We're going to keep reading that psalm every single week till we're done studying with that psalm. Because you guys can be seated. I'm sorry. As you can tell, this psalm describes Christ actually from the cross. So this is the cross from Christ's perspective in the Old Testament. The stuff that he talks about here, how they pierced his hand and his feet, how they cast lots on his garments. And in a way, this is kind of like the cross, a prophecy of the cross in the Old Testament, but from Christ's perspective, not from uh, a prophet's perspective. Amen? Amen. If we look at the book of Psalms, we see that Henry Ironside, which is one of my favorite Bible commentators, saying that if you remember the five uh, sacrifices that we studied in the book of Leviticus, he's finding parallel between these five sacrifices and some Psalms. Like for example, he said that Psalm 16 is a parallel of Christ being our meal offering. If you remember the meal offering, this is not a blood sacrifice. This is just a picture of Christ who lived the perfect life before God. His whole life, he just honored God in everything he said and he did. And then Psalm 22, Ironside said that this is a picture of Christ being our sin offering. 
In Psalm 40 is a picture of Christ being our burned offering. 69, Christ, a picture of Christ being our trespass offering. And Psalm 85, Christ being a picture of our, of our peace offering. If you don't remember these offerings, go back to our website to read about them. And as we go through the book of Psalms, I think every single one of these Psalms we're going to stop at because they're just so powerful. And each one of them definitely gives us a shadow and a picture of the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. If you look at the very first line that we didn't even read, it says, For the director of music to the tunes of the Dove of the Morning, a Psalm of David. So David actually wrote that Psalm. Amen? And it, it does look like that David was in, in some sort of stress at some point in his life. We don't know when exactly, but at some point David was so, um, uh, feel like God has left him alone. And he started praying that Psalm, Psalm 22. However, while, he was, while the Holy Spirit was leading him to write that Psalm, it went way beyond David and way beyond David's situation. Amen? Like when we read in verse 16, they pierced my hand and my feet. We know David's hand and feet was never pierced, right? We know also when he said they cast lot on my garments. We know nobody cast lot on David's garments, right? So even though some of the parts of that Psalm definitely applicable to David, yet we know that the Holy Spirit went way above and beyond David's situation to describe the son of David who's going to come and who's going to endure the cross on our behalf. Amen? Yes. And in the New Testament, you're going to see that the writers in the New Testament had absolute freedom to quote that psalm over and over and over again and refer, reference that to Christ. Specifically in the context of the crucifixion and the story of the cross in the last few chapters of, of the four Gospels. You see that psalm mentioned over and over and over again. Amen? I listed some here. I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8... Uh, about eight or nine direct quotes from that psalm in the New Testament. Most of them in the context of Jesus being crucified, the, the events of the cross. And there is few allusions to it as well. Some of the New Testament writers alluded to that psalm many other times in the New Testament. I think throughout our study in the book, of, in that chapter, we're going to go through most of this stuff, if not all of them. Jesus himself might have even referenced that psalm and he said that this psalm speaks about me when he told his disciples in the book of Luke chapter 18 verse 31 right before he went to the cross and he said we are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled. So Jesus was saying whatever is written in the Old Testament about how my hands and my feet are going to be pierced, how they're going to cast lot on my garments, how they're going to treat me, how they're going to spit up on me, how every pretty much all the suffering that I'm going to endure, I'm going to go to Jerusalem so that these Old Testament prophecies may be fulfilled. So in a way Jesus might have been strongly well, he has to be strongly referring to Psalm 22. And he's saying, this psalm is a prophecy about me and the cross. Amen? Amen. It is very interesting. Jesus actually on the cross said seven words. Seven times Jesus said stuff on the cross. And if you see, you're gonna, if you analyze it, you're going to see an extreme, amazing parallel between some of the saying that Jesus has uttered on the cross and that psalm itself. Let's just try to draw the parallel here. Okay? The Psalm 22 verse 1, David started by saying what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
That exactly one of the seven words that Jesus uttered. It was the fourth saying that he said, the fourth word on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the fourth word. The fifth word that Jesus said was this, I am thirsty. That's number five. And if you go back to the psalm, verse 15, in the middle of that psalm roughly, here is what the psalmist said. My mouth is dried up like a butchered and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth because of the thirst. So in parallel to the psalmist in the middle of the psalm say, I'm thirsty, Jesus say, I'm thirsty. At the very end of the psalm, we read in Psalm 22, 31, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it. That phrase in Hebrew here, he has done it. We'll talk about that later. But it is extremely parallel in the meaning to the, 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 the sixth word that Jesus has said, it is finished. So it seems like between the word 4, 5, and 6, either Jesus was just quoting that psalm directly, or he might have been even reciting the whole psalm to himself while he was on the cross, and he would just say the first verse out loud, and the last one out loud, and in the middle, he would just say, I'm thirsty. But you can tell then, and you can see that Jesus applied that psalm freely to the event of his crucifixion. Amen? So this is extremely important for us as Christians to know that psalm and to study it and in extreme shadow of the, the Golgotha and the cross that Jesus was about to endure. When you look at that psalm, I feel like this psalm can be divided naturally into three different um, outlines, three different topics. The first one, which is the first five, five verses that we're going to be talking about today, talking about Christ the forsaken one, the one who was abandoned by God. And then from verse 6 to verse 21, it talks about the suffering that he endured on the cross. So that would be Christ the suffering one. And then from verse 21 to verse 31, it talks about the victory that has been accomplished through the cross. And then that would be Christ our triumphant or victorious one. Amen? Amen. So let's say these three um, uh, points, three outlines for the psalm together with the verses. I want you guys to know this stuff. Number one, Christ is the forsaken one. That's verses 1 to 5. Number two, Christ the suffering one. That's verses 6 to 21. And then lastly, Christ is the triumphant, the victorious one. And that's from verses 21 to verse 31. Today we're going to stop only at the first part. Christ the forsaken one. Amen? Amen. Let's go back to that Let's look at the actual text in the psalm and try to analyze it a little bit. In the first five verses, and we see that again in verse 11 and in verse 19, the key word that you keep seeing being repeated over and over and over again is the word far, right? He say, why are you far, why are you far from me? Verse um, Verse 1, the very end of that verse, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries um, of anguish? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you are, do not answer by night, but I find no rest. You are, uh, and you are the one enthroned as the Holy One, enthroned among the praises of Israel. And your ancestor, in, in you, our ancestors trusted, they trusted and you delivered them, but I cry out to you and I get nothing because you are far. And we see that again in verse 11. We see that again in verse 19. The key word in that verse is far. God was far from Christ when he was on the cross. If you go back actually and see um, verse 3, the beginning, 
uh, it says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. But you are, or yet you are. So it seems like after verses 1 and 2, David, which was again led by the Holy Spirit as a prophecy of Christ being crucified, now is trying to contrast his actual situation versus what he knew about God of that time, right? And he says this, he says, God... You know, I keep crying, but I am forsaken by you. I keep calling, but I'm not getting anything. And then verse 3 is kind of a little bit odd in the middle. He says, and you are enthroned as the Holy One, or, uh, or some other translations will say, and you are the Holy One who enthroned among the praises of your people. So what is God being holy, enthroned among the praises of his people, has anything to do here? What, what, what David was trying to say under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is this. God has always came through for his people. Amen? And um, he, they get in trouble, so he, they cry out to him. So he comes through and he saves them. And because he saves them, they start praising him. And that praise that comes because God answered their prayers, God enthroned or lives or dwells among these praises that comes after he delivered them when they cry out to you from their trouble, right? And David, of course, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a prophecy of Christ is saying, God, our fathers in trouble, they cry out to you and you would answer them and you will dwell, be enthroned among the praises that they give offer up to you after you deliver them. But here I am. Crying out to you, yet I am not getting any relief from you. You're still far from me. Amen? And then verse 4 and 5, David, again, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, start contrasting how God has always been faithful and has always been answering prayers when somebody is in distress or in, in a hard situation, yet that is not the case for David at that song, certainly not for Christ when he was on the cross. Amen? We see a repetition of the word you and trust in verses 4 and 5. They say, you are the deliverer. You answer. You helped our intercessors. Every time they trust in you, they trusted, that they trusted, they waited and trusted. And you always, you came through for them. So it seems like the first verses 1 and 2 is in a way contrast to verses 3, 4 and 5. But it's still in the same idea is that. Everybody who calls on God under stress, God will come through for them, proven by the ancestors of David, of that song. Yet, in that situation, David, certainly Christ in the New Testament, would cry out to God and he will get no relief. He feels like he's utterly forsaken by God. Amen? Amen. So that's pretty much the meaning of what David was trying to tell us here. And again, that very... First verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ took absolute 100% liberty to apply that to himself when he was on the cross. I think that, again, that was his fourth cry. Matthew 27, 45 to 46. This is what the Bible says. From noon until... Three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. Jesus was actually hanged on a cross. The nails went through his, his hands and his feet, and the cross was lifted up at 9 o'clock in the morning. And from 9 to noon, there was light, but people were still mocking him and, you know, beating him and all this stuff. And then from noon till 3 p.m., there was darkness that came all over the land. 
for three hours that was darkness. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice and he quoted Psalm 22 verse 1, Eli, Eli, lama shabaktani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After three hours of darkness, six hours being hanged on the cross, Jesus finally cried out these words, my God, my God, I am totally abandoned by you. Why have you forsaken me? Amen. Amen. So let's try to talk a little bit more about that. How, why would Jesus abandon on the cross? Why would Jesus forsaken on the cross? And what does that mean in like That's the depth? Gonna, I want to know that. Well, we're going to go through it, Lynette. Jesus knew he had, what he had to do. Why did he ask God, why have you forsaken? Sure, we'll go through it. Okay. Sure. So why was Jesus, first of all, why was Jesus forsaken on the cross? The problem that made Jesus was forsaken on the cross is called sin. Amen? God is a holy God. And if we sin, God so holy, so pure, he cannot even come close to sin. So if there's anything that has sin in it or sinful, then God cannot come close to that person or that thing therefore God has to be separated from everything that has remotely any connections to sin amen yeah. isn't that just bad news for us that's so bad news because we're all sinners yeah. we see that even from the very beginning of the Bible Genesis 3 24 Adam and Eve were living in the presence of God in the garden right and then Adam and Eve sin against God. What happened when they sin against God? For Genesis 3:24, so he drove them drove the man out. God drove them out of the garden, out of fellowship with him, out of being with him, to be separated from him. Why? Because they have sinned. Amen? We move on. Just the very following chapter. Cain kills Abel. And what happened when sin again shows its ugly face one more time? Genesis 4.16. Then Cain, what happened to him? Went out from that presence of the Lord. Do you see? Sin keeps getting people out and far away and more separated from the presence of God. Exodus 26.33, we talked about this when God commanded that they will build a tabernacle and they put the, the, the Ark of the Covenant in the very Holy of Holies, the very inner room. God said there has to be a veil that separates. Again, what is the point of the veil? Separating God who is holy from man who is a sinful. We read that in Exodus 26.33. The veil shall be a divider. Something to separate a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy place. Amen? Yeah. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities, your sin, have separated your God from you. Right? Yes. No. <laughs> have separated who from who? Have separated not your God from you, have separated you from your God. Because it is not God's heart or His will or His desire that He would ever be separated from us. Amen? But when we sin against God and we just choose on sinning, then we give God no option except to isolate us from Him because He is a holy God. Amen? Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that he will not hear you. So over and over and over again, it's the, the same principle all over the scripture, that God is so holy, God is so pure, he cannot come close to sin. Amen? Amen. And we all sinners, therefore God cannot come close to any of us. Amen? Amen. 
And that is the precise reason why God himself was, why Jesus himself was forsaken on the cross by God. Because on the cross, Jesus was not just the bearer of your sin and my sin, but he also had become sin for us on the cross. Amen? He became the embodiment, the, the incarnation of what sin is. When God would look Jesus, would look at Jesus on the cross, he see the sin of the world. Yeah. Do you see how God doesn't even want to come close to the sinner? How much more he doesn't even want to come close to anything that is actually sin. Amen? Yeah. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So on the cross, Jesus was the sin burden for the whole sins of the whole world. Amen? Amen? That's why God couldn't come close to him. This is crazy stuff. He could not come close to him because Jesus was bearing the sin of the world. Not only bearing the sin of the world, he became our sin offering or he became a sin for us on the cross. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he made him who knew no sin to become what? A sin offering or a sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? Amen. And that's why Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross during these three hours when it was dark. Because that's when God was pouring out his judgment on Christ as our sin bearer. So that Jesus can take our punishment and open the door for us to come close to God. Amen? Amen. Now I'm not going to stand here and try to pretend that I understand exactly what that means. That, that God has forsaken Christ on the cross. I don't think anybody can. Amen. Because this is just above our, like an, our minds even or our souls can ever handle or understand. Amen. Amen. But I'm going to try to use some pointers. Kind of, sound of, kind of some points. To give us a little bit of a glimpse of what that can possibly mean. Again, this is just very short but... It's not even any remotely an accurate description, but they're going to help us to get an idea of what we're expecting here. Amen? Correct. Then he was saying, uh, what was that? He said, if it's your will. That was in the garden. He said, if you, yeah, correct. If it's your will, but if it's otherwise, say. Correct. So, I mean, it's not just, uh, it doesn't stop only on why do you forsake me but there was this thing with it too if it's your will correct 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 yeah and we're going to talk more about that and we're going to find like try to discuss the abandonment that jesus has felt on the cross but let me give you an idea of of, of what it means that Jesus was actually abandoned on the cross. This is just like, in order for Jesus to get to that point, to feel that he's abandoned by God, I just feel like we need to go a little bit backward to know actually how close Jesus and the Father are. Just a tiny glimpse. So we can know and appreciate in a way the vast uh, difference between how Jesus and the Father actually connected versus what actually happened on the cross. To give us a far much deeper appreciation of Jesus actually accepting to be abandoned on the cross for us and the Father being willing to abandon his own son on the cross. Amen? In John 1.18, now we're talking about eternally, even before Jesus became a human being, incarnated, like uh, to become human for you and me. John 1.18, it says this, No one has ever seen the Father, the only God who is at the Father's, in the Father's bosom, bosom, He has made Him known. So from all eternity, to all eternity, Jesus is where? In the Father's 
bosom. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when you hold, when I hold one of my kids tight in my bosom, that's like as close as I can ever get to them. Amen? I can't get any closer to my Micah or Kasia or Sila when I'm holding them tight in my arms, in my bosom. Amen? So that gives us an idea of how close the Father and the Son are. And that's not just for a day or two, that's for all eternity. Amen? Just try to picture. Now the one who was once in the father's bosom came all the way that he was actually abandoned by God for you and me. Isn't that just crazy? Yeah. In Hebrews 1.3 we read this unbelievable scripture. The author of Hebrews say this. We see that the sun is the radiance, the brightness of the glory of God or God's glory. That's in Hebrews 1.3. What does that mean? I tell you what I think it means. This is just my own analogy on it. Amen? Let's say you have um, a BMW that is worth $100,000. Okay, a very nice car. You appreciate this car so much. Okay? And then uh, your son or your daughter or one of your child is driving this car, going running an errand or something like that or going on a trip. And then you get the call that your, your son had an accident in your fancy BMW. Or from like a police officer, let's say. What would be the first question you ask? Is my car okay? No, nope, you shouldn't, right? Wait, what should you say? Is my son okay, right? Because even, I mean, this is a $100,000 car. This is not like something cheap, you know what I mean? And you probably love it and everything. But your love for your son is, is far beyond your love for that car, right? So much so that if the son is okay and the car is totally, total loss, you're still happy, right? Versus if the son, something happened to him and the car get perfectly perfectly out of that accident, no problem with it, you will not be happy, right? Because in that package, think about this, this is how I would look at it, how I look at it. In that package of the son driving the car, in that one block of things going together, the most precious thing to you is not really the car, it is your son that is driving the car, right? I honestly think this is what the author of Hebrews was trying to tell us about Jesus. He's saying the most, the crown, the best thing of God's glory glory is Jesus. He's the shine of that ground. He's the radiance of that glory of God. That without Jesus, all the glory of God will be worth nothing. Amen? Because He's like the sun and the glory of God is like that car, right? Yeah. It's a very nice car, no question about that. But really, it all comes down to that sun. The value of that sun is far more precious than the value of any car. Amen? And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us about the relationship between the father and the son. The son is the crown of the best thing about the glory of God is Jesus. Amen? That's what he's trying to tell us. Amen? Again, the best thing about the glory of God is... Jesus. And not only that, when Jesus was actually here on earth, ministering and healing the sick and everything, people didn't like him much. When we were going through John, everybody was just mocking him and refusing him and rejecting him. And Jesus cared less about them. Why? We read this. Jesus said, He who has sent me is with me. The Father has not left me. Amen? Amen. <laughs> We're uh, the last page. He has, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that is pleasing him. I think that's in the book of John. Um, can't believe I didn't put the verse. Anyways, what is that? The Father and I are one. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So that all tells us about the relationship between the Father and the Son. They're so connected. The Father is always with the Son. Jesus is the best thing about the glory of, of God. Amen? Amen? But think about that. This is how they connected. Yet, at some point on the cross, Jesus was actually abandoned by God on the cross because of your sin and my sin. Yeah. Again, some pointers to give us the depth, trying to help us understand the depth of what did it really mean that Jesus was abandoned on the cross. Amen? Please, please, please let this cup pass from me. Yes. What did he mean? What, That's in Gethsemane. Huh? That's in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. We'll talk about that not today. Let's focus on okay. Psalm 22. Okay. So that is I'm trying to give us again some pointers about how hard it was that God and Jesus, that they will abandon each other, that the Father will abandon Christ on the cross. Now, another point. Think about this. Jesus, the Bible says that he was rejected throughout his life. Actually, from John chapter 1, the Bible tells us he came to his own and his own, the Jewish people, did not receive him. So even from the very beginning, he was not accepted by his own people. Amen? One time, his family, his friends, his brethren called him, he's crazy. And they just didn't want to associate with him. And think about that. You, even during the events of the cross, Peter, he was the, 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 the chief apostle, I would say, of the 12 people. What did Peter do? He, he, he cursed by oath and swears that he doesn't know Jesus. He said, I don't know that mm -mm man. Because he just wanted to isolate himself from Christ. Judith, one of his disciples, sells him for 30 pieces of silver. If you go back in the Old Testament, this is the price when a bull hit a slave and the slave dies. Then the owner of the bull gives 30, 30 pieces of silver to the owner of the slave just to kind of offset. So this is not anything major. This is like, that, this is the price of a dead body of a slave. So it's not even worth much. And then you look at... And John, his very own beloved disciple who rested on Jesus' chest during the, the, the Lord's Supper. Where was John during the cross? Gone. Everybody was gone. Nobody was left with Jesus on the cross, right? But when, when Peter denied Jesus three times, even with oath and swear, whenever read about Jesus saying, Peter, Peter, why have you forsaken me? Do we read that? When Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver, whenever read the scripture that Jesus said, Judas, Judas, why have you forsaken me, right? When, when John, his beloved disciple, left him at the cross, whenever read about Jesus saying, John, John, why have you forsaken me, right? But it's only under the burden of this, our sins on the cross, after these three hours of darkness, when Jesus was so, felt so abandoned by God, and he was abandoned by God because of our sins, that Jesus, because of that burden, and because of that abandonment, could not help it but to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a way that abandonment that Jesus experienced from the Father was far more beyond yes. any abandonment he could ever experience from all the human people put together. It was far much deeper than that. Amen? Amen. Yes. Jesus was hanged on the cross for six hours, I told you, from nine o'clock in the morning till three at night, right? Three in the afternoon. From 9 to noon, there was light. And from noon to 3, there was darkness. From 9 to noon, we see the first three times that Jesus spoke. And we see him saying, 
talking to Mary, saying about John, this is, this is your son. Talking to John, talking about Mary, saying, this is your mother. And even when he saw the people just mistreating him and, and just beating on him, casting lots on his clothes, what would Jesus say when he experienced all that pain and that torture from his torturers? He said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they are doing, right? Yeah, yeah. But after that three hours of darkness, when Jesus endured the wrath of God for your sins and my sins, what did Jesus say right after that? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because the pain and the torture that Jesus has endured as our sin offering on our place before a holy and a righteous God surpasses every pain and torture that he could ever experience from any man whatsoever that pain can be. Amen? It's just beyond our description, beyond our even comprehension. It was so severe that Jesus, they put nails in his hand and he said, Oh Father, forgive them. But when he endured that wrath from God, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. This just gives you an idea, again, some pointers of the pain that Jesus has went through and the abandonment that he has felt on the cross under the weight of your sin and the weight of my sin. Amen? Amen. Yes. And when Jesus was on the cross, he did not cry out, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Right? He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was our sin offering. He's not the one who's in good terms with God at that point in a way, right? He's, he's just being the sin offering before a holy and a righteous God. That's why he did not call him Father. He called him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes. Again, I, I, I just thought these are, can, can just be some pointers for us to try to comprehend. Just looking at it from different angles, try to comprehend how, how hard it was on Christ. To, to endure the, our price, the price of our sins on the cross, and just be our substitute before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? I don't think we're ever going to comprehend it, but just gives us some ideas. Now let me just close with that thought. I honestly, like, we'll talk more. As a matter of fact, as we study about that psalm, and we're going to see the pain that Jesus went through, even for the next few weeks. I don't, I don't understand... For me personally, I tell you about me. I tell you about me. I just appreciate so much when somebody does an act of kindness for me, especially when I'm not expecting it. It just makes me so like I feel like I'm so humbled. You know what I mean? Like I feel like how can I just thank that person for giving me a five dollars gift card when I'm not even expecting that he will do that for no reason? And when you when somebody does that to me, I personally feel I'm just you like humbled in so many ways that I'm just to the point that I don't know what to do. I'm speechless and I just want to thank them I just don't know how can I show them I truly appreciate what they have done for me right and Jesus what he did on the cross was far beyond description far beyond imagination we cannot even imagine how he can bear my sins and your sins on the cross to be our substitute and in the light of everything that he has done for you on the cross I cannot even comprehend. My brain doesn't get around this. Why in the world will you not give your life to him? I don't understand. Yes. What else could he have ever possibly done? So you can just say, here I am. I am just overwhelmed by your grace and your love. 
I don't know what can possibly be so precious that you look at the love of Christ on the cross and you say, yeah, it's not worth it. I'd rather do it my way. I don't know about you. Just, just invite you today. Don't say no to the love of Christ. Don't say no to that grace that he has shown you. He didn't have to do this. He did it because he loves you so much. He's the one who's always eternally in the bosom of the Father, the crown of the glory of God. But he chose to be abandoned by God on the cross so he can be your substitute. He, he's the one who committed no sin, yet he chose to be sin so you can be the righteousness of God in him. If, if, if that love is not going to make you repent of your sins, I tell you there is absolutely nothing that's going to make you repent of your sins. Let me close with that thought. Just so you know, what you're getting yourself into. I told you how tight the Father and the Son are throughout all eternity, right? Yeah. Yet on the cross, the Father chose to abandon His Son because He was our substitute. He was our sin offering on the cross, right? And He did not spare Him. And He poured out His wrath on Him for three hours. I can only imagine how hard that was for God. But God chose to do that because He is so holy. So much so that He thought even with how close He is to His Son Jesus, He still rather abandon Him and leave Him alone because He bears our sin. Think about that. All the love and the connection that the Father and the Son have from all eternity was not able to keep God close to Christ on the cross. Think about that. All the connection and the love that they have for all eternity. Yet God is so holy and so pure that He still could not come close to His Son on the cross because He was our sin bearer. Amen? Amen. Think about that. Because if God did not spare His Son on the cross, He is certainly not going to spare you in spite of all His love for you. You get that? Yeah. If he did not spare Jesus because he hates sin so much with all the love that he has for Jesus, he will certainly not spare you. But he loves you today and he wants you back. But if you insist on saying no to the grace of God, you're giving God no option except that one day he will abandon you, but he will abandon you not for three hours, he will abandon you for all eternity. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer and close our prayer.